Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 8. I do hope that you have a copy of the Word of God with you, uh, maybe in paper form or on your device. So John chapter 8 is where we're going to begin this morning. And uh, if you've been encouraged and blessed this morning, say amen. Uh, It's such a joy to gather with God's people to worship Him, to honor those that have achieved great things and expecting greater things to come. And so we are thrilled to be here today. I know I'm excited uh, to share with you what God has laid on our hearts this week. Uh, We are finishing up our series, uh, What Would Jesus Undo? What Would Jesus Undo? And we've said this every week, this being the fourth week of this study, this series. Uh, Many of us remember the phrase WWJD uh, back in the 90s and early 2000s, What Would Jesus Undo? do. Uh, It became a t-shirt, a bracelet, a magnet, a bumper sticker, but it really became also a trite saying that people would just kind of throw around. Uh, It lost some of its meaning. And so the series is not about so much figuring out first what would Jesus do, it's what would Jesus undo in our lives so that we can live as he would have us to live, so our faith can be genuine and true, uh, which means allowing God to undo things in our life at times. Uh, We all have things that we're growing and learning and understanding in our journey with Christ that he's revealing things to us. Not that it's brand new. It was already in the word of God, but we were unaware of it, or we weren't made known about this thing or this aspect of our Christianity. And that's the beauty of, of discipleship. That's the beauty of growing in Christ is we grow and understand more and more of who we can be in Christ. And so in our journey, as we're walking this road with Christ, he will, through the working of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's word, enlighten our mind to some things that have to go, have to change. And we need to be okay with that. We need to be willing to submit to those things. That's really what this series has been about these last four weeks. Uh, If you're new with us or you've not been a part of the series, I encourage you, you can get uh, this series and any other message we do um, online. You can go on northgoodland.org and find all the sermons there. Uh, You can get our our app, uh, which is North Goodland BC, in your app store. All the sermons and messages are on there as well. Or you can get the CD copy of these by going to the Welcome Center and signing up there. And so we want to get the Word of God into your uh, ears and into your hearts and minds. And so any way that you can get the Word of God and get these messages, we encourage you to do so. Uh, We're not going to go over everything we've covered, but we have talked a lot over the last couple of weeks about some things that Jesus would undo. Three weeks ago, uh, we started by talking about the spiritual indifference in our lives that Jesus would undo. The spiritual indifference or the apathy to the things of God or the things of Christ that Jesus would want to undo. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the, the, the hollow or the shallow worship that we partake in bringing at before Christ, and he would undo those uh, things in our life that would be hollow or empty worship. Uh, And then last week, we talked about spiritual pride, that Jesus would undo spiritual pride in our lives. Uh, Alistair Begg said it best when he said, of all the forms of pride, the ugliest form of pride is spiritual pride. Uh, it's, It's when we come before God thinking that we've achieved all that we have before God in ourselves, when in reality, everything we have is a gift, amen? Uh, What does the Bible say? What have you received? What do you have that you have not received? The answer is nothing. Everything we have, we've received. It's a gift given to us. The very breath in our lungs, the very life we live is a gift. And so we cannot stand before God arrogantly or boastfully as though we've achieved anything. It is all to his praise and his glory. 
And so it's been an interesting three weeks, and I pray this, that over these last three weeks, you have not just looked at it as head knowledge, things that you've learned or things that you've understood. It's been applied to your lives. You've allowed God to apply these things to our lives. And in an area of spiritual pride, you've allowed God to humble you. Remember, humility is a very good thing. Uh, Peter says it best, we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. The reason we humble ourselves is because his hand is mighty. His way is powerful. We are weak and limited. He is limitless. And so we, we come under and submit ourselves to his will. Spiritual indifference. If we know a part of our spiritual life that we're indifferent to the things of God, maybe in the area of prayer. Uh, I, I've never met a Christian that thinks they pray enough, so we can always grow there. But I mean, maybe some of us really do understand and know that we are indifferent to the things of prayer. Um, If you're like me at times, we can get two or three lines into a prayer before we even acknowledge who we're praying to. We just start rattling off the wish list or the to-do list of things that God's got to do in our lives to keep us happy. And then we realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm praying to the very creator of everything. I'm asking him to intervene in this situation. I need to honor him and recognize his holiness. Sometimes we're just indifferent to the things of prayer, the Word of God. Some of us are indifferent to the Word of God. You might say, nope, I got you there. I I read the Bible every single day. Awesome. Are you a hearer of the Word or a hearer and a doer of the Word? Because if I'm a hearer of the Word and not a doer of the Word, I'm only deceiving myself, James says. I'm not submitting then to the authority of God's Word. You can read this book and you can memorize the verses, but until I say, this is my authority for my faith and practice, this guides me. Until I submit to its authority, I'm not really giving myself to it. I'm indifferent to it. I read it. I memorize it. I open it up at church. I struggle a little to find the books like everyone else in the Old Testament, especially those little ones at the end. You know, Haggai. Okay, all these little ones in there. Hosea. I know that's in there somewhere. Where was that? It's not about just knowing those things or just memorizing some verses. It's saying, God, I just want to submit myself to this word that you've given to us as a gift. See, we, we submit ourselves to it because it is the word of God and it is profitable for us, Paul told Timothy. I submit myself to it not because it always makes sense to me. I submit to its authority not because it always says what I want it to say. Amen. You ever read a passage and you're like, man, I really wish that said something else. How about every time it says to forgive, but you don't know, God. You don't get what's going on. No, he fully understands what's going on, and he still can give you the power to forgive by the working of his Holy Spirit. Because if God can forgive us, then how can we not forgive someone else? See, that's when we say, I don't like what it says. I don't like what it tells me to do. I don't understand it. I wouldn't do it that way. You ever read the Word of God and you go, I would never have done it that way. But then you realize, but I still got to submit to it because it's not me. I'm not the center. It's God. God has revealed this to us. And the Word of God is profitable because it is the Word of God, not because it fits my list of things that I approve of. Are we submitting to the things of God? Are we indifferent to the things of God's word? This morning, I wanted to end with a topic that I pray will be an encouragement to you. And I say that because as I get into this message, you might think something different. But I pray this is an encouragement to you because I believe that there are some key lies in our lives that Jesus desires to undo and show us the truth. There are some key lies that we've believed 
as even followers of Christ, that Jesus desires to undo. Go to John chapter 8. You're there already. Verse 32. John chapter 8, verse 32. Very popular verse. Very well known among many. John 8, 32 says this. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's pray. I know Pastor Greg already prayed, but let's pray and ask God to speak to us this morning through his word. Not through emotion, not through anything else, but we want to hear from his word today. Father, we thank you for this time. Father, we thank you for the gift of your revealed knowledge and wisdom to us by the writing of your word. And Lord, we, we read even of those that saw firsthand your crucifixion and your resurrection, those that saw the miracles, those that saw the things you did on earth, they even say the more sure word of prophecy is the word of God. And so I pray, Lord, that we would be submitted to it today and honor it in our lives. Lord, that we would realize the word of God is not a roadmap for life. It's not a how-to manual for life. The purpose of the word of God is to reveal to us how to know you, to be known by you, how to know salvation, how to know that it comes in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. And then once we know that fact, how to live in a Christ-like way by your grace and your, your Holy Spirit giving us the ability to do so. It's not about answering every single thing that we deal with in life. It's about shaping us and molding us into the person of Christ so we think like Christ, we act like Christ, we love and we feel like Christ. We stand on truth because we believe your word. Lord, bless now and help us to maybe change our thinking where we need to be changed. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, in the passage, we're just reading one verse of. I encourage you to read all of John chapter 8. It's an amazing chapter. Uh, Jesus had just finished a speech at the temple where he delineated differences between himself and his listeners. He was kind of showing the difference between him and those that were listening to him talk. He says this, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Jesus speaks truth And when we place our faith in Christ alone, we are free from the bondage of sin and his disciples, and we are his disciples because we have believed in his word. What's the freedom? What's the the thing we're set free from? It's the bondage of sin in our lives when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. John, the author of this gospel that we're reading in John chapter 8, the same John writes later in the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, also the book of Revelation. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20, he reminds us again of the power of the truth found in and through Christ. 1 John 5.20 says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ, that is the true God and eternal life. You see, John in John chapter 8 writes this beautiful statement about that we know the truth, the truth will set us free. Well, what is the truth that sets us free from the bondage of sin? He tells us even in 1 John 5.20 that it is Christ and Christ alone that brings truth, that is truth. What does John say in John 14 verse 6? I am the way, the truth. I'm not a truth, Jesus said. I am the truth. See, today we don't like that. 
We don't like absolute truth. We don't like being told there's only one way to heaven as human beings. To us, that seems radically unfair of God to say that there's only one way to heaven and to tell somebody who is really sincere and really honest and really quote-unquote good and moral that they are not allowed into heaven because it is through Jesus Christ alone. How dare God tell me how I can get into heaven? Well, here's the thing. It's his heaven. It's his heaven. He is savior. He is creator. He is holy. And so when he is creator, he has authority over the created. That's us. He gets to dictate how and why and who enters his heaven. And it's not about being better than anyone else. It's about equally being just as bad as everyone else, but equally submitting to the grace of God and allowing him to save us. It seems so unfair. Why would God tell these people they can't get in because they're different than this? Because there is one truth. Truth is by definition inclusive. There's only the truth. But you know what's amazing? And we're, we're starting to kind of get into this on Sunday nights in our Jesus Among Secular Gods study by Ravi Zacharias. He he talks about these things through the study. And so we just did the first week last week. Tonight at 6 o'clock is the next study. So I invite you to come on out. And he's going to talk about how Jesus compares with the worldviews of atheism and scientism and all these things. It's going to be an amazing time. But he, he even kind of shares this, that when you look at all the other belief systems in the world, all the other religions in the world, apart from Christianity, Christianity is the only one that says, for whosoever may shall come. Christianity is the only one that says it doesn't matter what social class you're from. It doesn't matter your financial standing. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter any of that. If you will come and receive Christ by faith through grace, you are saved, period. Now try going to India in the caste system. When somebody is born at this level and they can do nothing their entire life but hope to die with good karma so that they may come back in the next one reincarnated, and then in the next one. And maybe sooner or later, if they're just good enough, they'll finally reach nirvana or heaven. But in India, where the caste system's created, if you're born in a certain caste system, you have no chance of ever reaching this level of these other great religious caste systems. How is that inviting? How is that welcoming? How is that open to anyone? It's more restrictive than the gospel. The gospel, in fact, says this is the truth and anyone can receive it. This is the truth, and anyone can receive it. Jesus does not just teach truth. Through him and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are given understanding to know the truth. Did you catch what John said in 1 John 5.20? It says, And we know that the Son of God is come and has given us an understanding. See, this is where people on TV, some of these guys that want you to send them money so they'll pray for you, if you want to send someone money to pray for you, you don't have to do that. You can just let the church know, here, we'll pray for you for free. I mean, we're just going to give you that deal, okay? Seems like that's kind of what the Bible says. We should just, let, you know, pray for each other, love each other, share the truth with each other. But I was listening to this guy one time, and he was raising money for a $50-some million jet. And I shared this a while ago. I don't know if he's got it or not yet, but the scary thing, he's probably pretty close. This guy said, literally, quote, you have to give me this money so I can go and preach what God has given me because I'm called by God to go. 
I have a special calling of God and a special anointing. This is where we throw around words that we don't really understand what the Bible says about them, but it sounds really biblical because anointing that's in the Bible. Do you know how we're anointed in Christ? Because we're in Christ. Do you know the minute you're saved, you have the anointing of God's spirit? You realize that in the Bible, there's not really such a thing as special anointings. It's not in the Bible, by the way. There are those that have different callings, different vocations. But when somebody says to you, oh, I'm anointed of God to do this, be careful. Because when they start throwing those words around, it's step back and say, do you really know what that means? We're all anointed in Christ. I'm not better than you because I'm a pastor. I don't, somebody told me something. Well, would you pray for me about this? You have more of a direct line to God than I do. No, I don't. It's just, if you're in Christ, it's the same hotline you got. I don't get through any quicker or slower. There's no difference. Okay? You feel like you're getting put on hold. Maybe there's some things you need to deal with, but that's not true. Okay? I don't get through quicker. Like you're on call waiting and God's like, nope, pastor's calling. Click, click, hello. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. But this guy said, you got to give me this money so I can go all the way overseas and not have to stop for fuel because fuel is really expensive. So I need to have some money for this jet because God has called me specifically to go to these people. And he said, only I can go. That's not what this says. John says, we, the body of Christ, have been given an understanding. We can understand the truth of God's word, not because of who we are, but because we received Christ as our Savior. He's given us his Holy Spirit, the author of the word of God, and the Spirit enlightens our minds to the things of God. I get really nervous when someone tries to claim a deeper ability to understand God's word than another believer. That's, that's, I mean, I understand Paul says there's those that are on meat and those that are still on the milk of the word, but that's not saying those that are in the milk of the word can't become those that eat the meat of the word of God. That's not what he was saying. He was merely saying we need to grow and get deeper in our understanding, but that doesn't come from me. That's not, I'm not special. I'm not better than you we got to be so guarded against these things. I'm telling you, I watch this stuff and I hear these things and people send these people money. Two things happen when I see people or hear people sending these crooks money. I get really, really mad. get really mad. I know you say, oh, pastor, you're not supposed to get mad. It breaks my heart and I get angry because I'm like, you're robbing God's people. And as a pastor, that angers me. But I also get really, really sad because I think about the people that are being led astray thinking they can't do something God's called them to because they don't have this piece of paper or they don't have this special calling. Man, John says, we have been given understanding as the body of Christ. We can understand truth. We can discern the things of God because he's given this gift to us. Again, Jesus does not just teach truth. Through him and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are given understanding to know the truth. We know it in Christ and we grow in knowledge through Christ. There are many lies that we are told in the church and without that I believe Jesus would tackle with the truth. However, for time's sake, I want to just look at a couple key lies that I believe when we see the truth from God's word, our lives will be different because of it. Now, everything I just did, that was supposed to be like a five-minute intro. That was like 15 minutes. So, here's how it's going to work. We're just going to go as long as we have time for and if we don't get everything done, we'll just pick it up next week. All right? So the first lie that I want to tackle this morning, and again, I pray you know my heart, is this is an encouraging, I pray an encouraging word to you. 
The first lie that we hear, even in the church, but mostly outside the church in our culture, is that I am a good person. That I am a good person. We hear it all the time about people. Understand what I'm saying here. We hear it when somebody tells us about someone that we're going to meet for the first time. Oh, you're going to like them. They're a good person. We hear it all the time at funerals. I've never been to a funeral where a bad person died, apparently. (laughs) They're all good people. It's a polite thing to say. It's a kind thing to say. I, I get why we say it, but the truth is, if we're being honest and we're allowing the truth to set us free, the truth is, it's not true. Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. Let's go there real quick. Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. Again, remember what we said. We, we submit to the word of God not because we like what it says, but because it is the word of God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. Romans, while you're turning there, is written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome. Uh, the church was already established. Uh, Paul's writing to the church. He's hoping to come some point and encourage the church that he's heard about. And he's writing unto them this beautiful book. Uh, it is considered one of Paul's greatest books because it deals in so many different areas of doctrine and theology. Uh, if you will, it's kind of Paul's theology or doctrine book. Uh, the first three chapters really establish an amazing case for the need for Christ. Uh, Romans chapter 1 deals with those that are in the world, the Gentiles, the, the pagans, if you will, the non-Jews. Romans chapter 2 deals with the Jewish people and how uh, they still are coming up short even though they have the law. And then Romans chapter 3 kind of just looks at the entire world before God. And all of it is kind of culminated towards the end of chapter 3, which I'll read in just a moment. But Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Remember, Romans 1 is the Gentiles. Romans 2 is the Jews. He gets to Romans 3 and he tells the Jews, are we better than the Gentiles? Are we better than anyone else? No. We're not better than anyone else. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that does good. No, not one. When you go down to Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, if I just stopped there, this would be a really, really sad day to go to church. You'd leave thinking, man, why why'd I go to that church? i got to find a better church. This guy's just depressing. Everyone's, everyone's lost. Everyone's in sin. I want us to know that that's not where God stops. Verse 24 of Romans chapter 3. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is in Christ Jesus. We have been justified. But what's the key? I I can't understand that I've been justified until I understand that I am not good. I have to understand that I am first not good. You see, the Bible tells us the truth. That we must look at ourselves through the eyes of God. Now again, I know why people say they are a good person. I get why we say that. And there are such a thing as good people per se in the world today. But I think when we apply it to our standing before God, we see we are in fact not a good person at all in our sins apart from Christ. 
We are incapable of being good because God says we are, in fact, dead. And it's amazing to think about the truth of God's word. The truth is, God does not make good people better through Christ. Through Christ, he makes dead people alive. We have to get this in Christ, in salvation. God is not merely making a good person better. He's making a dead person alive. That's the power of salvation. That's the power of grace. That's the power of justification. And I think if you are spiritually indifferent to the things of God, if you are surface and shallow in your worship to God, it's because maybe you either don't know or have forgotten how bad you really were before Christ, and you don't really understand the depths of love that God has shown to you to save you from the depths of sin that you were in. You've forgotten. You've kind of gone cold to it. I mean, I know I wasn't a great person, but I wasn't that bad. We start doing this thing where we start evaluating other people's sin, right? We're really good at this. Well, I've sinned, but I never sinned like that guy sinned. I mean, you know what they did? Man, we said it a few weeks ago. God's love is so great. He sees you and he says, I love you so much. I'm willing to pull you from that, to justify you, to set you free from that. But you have to receive my truth. And the truth is in Christ alone. And when I understand how bad I really was and how great God's love and grace is for me, to save me. My worship cannot be shallow. It must be full. My spiritual life is not indifferent. It's fully engaged to the things of God and what he has for me. I can't help but do those things when I see who I really was and who God is making me to be. But even in our world today, in the church and out, there's this lie being that you're really just a good person. You're, you're fine. You're good. There's nothing you need to worry about. The truth is we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. Because I am not really a good person, I have a choice to make. We are told because we are good or because God is love, there is no punishment for our sin. This is the complete opposite of what the Bible declares to be true and what Jesus declared to be true. The most popular and beloved verse is John 3.16. Many of you could quote this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We love that verse. We love it because it says that God loves us. Amen? And God loves the world so much he gave his only begotten son. But we have to realize the verse doesn't stop there. It says the son came because he came forth, set forth the gospel. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. There are two destinations for all of humanity. Everlasting life or perishing. Isn't that what the Bible says? There's everlasting life and there's perishing. Those who believe, everlasting life. Those who don't, perishing. The perishing is elaborated a little more in verse 18 of John chapter 3. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Perishing is the result of being condemned in our sin apart from God, and it will be for all of eternity the truth is, that is what the place of hell is. It is not a place for the worst and the worst only. It is a place filled with good people who didn't know Christ. We got to get this. The truth is that hell is not a place for the worst of the worst. It is a place filled with good people who didn't know Christ. You have a choice to make today. And praise God, you have that choice given to you. 
You see, we look at the word perishing and we think that means to be destroyed or just consumed. That's not how the word is used. It's word, the word talks about the idea of falling away, not fulfilling what God created, not being all that God made us to be. This idea that we were created to be with him forever. And when we're perishing, we're in this place of hell for all eternity in our own sin, not because God isn't loving, but because we were too prideful to receive his love. So you have a choice to make today. Are we going to trust in ourselves Are we going to believe that I'm a good person who can do good things to make my way to heaven? Or do we know the truth? And let's be real for a minute. I don't think anyone in this room really thinks they're genuinely, honestly, 100% perfect in all things. I think all of us know if we were honest with ourselves that we have sinned before God, that we have violated God's law in some way, and we need his grace. Another lie that we are told that Jesus would undo And again, I'm just picking two here that seem to be the more popular ones. There's many, many more that we could dive into. But the second one that I believe Jesus would undo is that right now, that right now is supposed to be my best life now. That right now, this is supposed to be our best life now. That right now is the best it's going to be. The truth is that can only be true if you don't know Christ and you die in your sin. If you reject Christ and leave this world, this world was the best it's going to be for you. If what we just said is true, if really there is a punishment for sin, if really those in their sin apart from Christ are punished for eternity because God is holy and just and sin has to be paid for, if the word of God is true and there really is a place called hell that really exists, that really will be a place of punishment for those who reject Christ, then if that's you and you don't know Christ, then when you leave this world, this is the only heaven you'll ever experience. This is the best it's ever going to be. However, if you are in Christ, do you really want the success, the fame, the wealth, the big vacations, the comfort, and even the health of this life to be the best part of your life? If you are thinking yes, then your view of heaven and the presence of God is unbiblically small and minute. Let me just throw this out there. Maybe this isn't even supposed to be sort of our best life now. Maybe heaven is so great and God's presence is so great that this is merely an illusion a shadow, and all the joys in this life are just a shadow of the joy to come. Maybe the, the, the feelings of, of success and happiness in this life are just a shadow of the greatness of heaven to come. Maybe we're supposed to understand in this life there are trials and struggles and temptations, but in the next life, when we leave this one and we're finally with our God forever, then we'll fully understand the joy of heaven The truth is we must see this life in the appropriate lens. We must be guarded against worshiping the idol of comfort in our lives. Again, this is so popular. Make your life as comfortable and as safe and as easy as possible. Because after all, doesn't God want you happy? Man, I I hear that so often. Well, God wouldn't want me to do that because it wouldn't make me happy. Can I just share with you a biblical truth? And again, I pray this is an encouragement. I pray that it helps us all, myself included, to be reminded of these things. God is much more concerned with your Christ-likeness than he is your happiness. Can I just say that? 
God is much more concerned with you being like Christ and following the will of God for your life than circumstantial surface happiness. Here's the truth. God will call us and there will be happy times. If you've ever been walking with God in the will of God and experienced happy situations, say amen. Joyful situations, say amen. You ever been walking with God, doing exactly what you knew God called you to do, serving him, honoring him, and things were just going crazy. There was no real surface happiness. You had a joy because you knew you were doing what God called you to do, but there was no circumstantial happiness. If you've ever been there, say amen. We've all been there. But so many times in modern American Christianity, it's more about, no, 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 do whatever makes you feel good. Do whatever makes you happy. Because at the end of the day, God is just there to make you happy. If we're being biblical, if we're looking to the word of God, it is a lie that God's ultimate concern is your happiness. God's ultimate concern is his glory. That's God's ultimate concern according to the word of God. It's his glory being on display. It's his praise and worth and worship going forth. It's the gospel going forth. That's number one on his list. We've got to break them down. It's people coming to know Christ and being redeemed through grace. That's important to God. Read any biblical character's story, any one of them that were used by God to do great things and show me where that everything was perfect all the time. They were always happy. They never had any doubts. They never had any fears, never had any issues. Could you imagine being Noah building a boat for 120 years? Do you think his wife was happy with him all the time? Noah, when are we gonna get the boat done? People walking all through my garden. My tulips are destroyed, Noah. What's going on? Look at our lawn. Neighbors are making fun of us. You ever think Noah just sat down and said, God, really, was it true? Did you really call me? Look at all that I'm going through. You want to talk about discouragement? Try preaching for 120 years and the only people you end up with are the people you started with. Any church in America, if we had a missionary that went to the field, spent, now we understand the differences of the, Time, but spent a hundred years preaching the gospel and ended up only having converts of his immediate family, we would say, we're not supporting you anymore. You're not doing anything. And any biblical character you want, show me where everything was perfect. I go back to it again. It preaches well. It sounds good. It sells books. It looks good. It's appealing because in us, there's a flesh that says, I want health and wealth and success more than I want to be like Christ. Because you know what? To be like Christ means blessings, honors, and, and joys, but it also means suffering like Christ. Do you know the Bible says that suffering for Christ is a joyful thing? We don't look for suffering, but when it comes, we rejoice and say, God, thank you for that. We must see this life in the appropriate lens. And I believe in my own life, other believers that have shared this with me that have said, man, I don't know why I've fallen into this trap. The apparent appeal of it because I see so many people selling this stuff. We must be guarded against worshiping the idol of comfort and convenience in our lives. God, I'll serve you, but as long as it fits in this box. God, I'll do that as long as it meets what I want it to do. God, I'll, I'll do that, but it's gotta, you know, my vacation's coming up. Come on, don't, don't, don't change that plan on me. The truth is, this is hard for us because we are blessed with the country we live in. 
Can I say this real quick? As you might think, man, this guy hates our country and all the blessings we have. I don't. I love the blessings we have. I am so thankful for the blessings we have as Americans. We are blessed to live in this country. Do you know why I say that? Because we could gather here today and nobody is going to stop us. There's no secret police busting in the door, arresting you or killing me because I pastor a church. I can carry this book down the street and no one's going to kidnap me or put me in prison or torture my family. Oh, come on, that only happens in so few places. Try reading just a little bit of what's going on in our world today. I'm not talking about the media, secular media. Try picking up a copy of Voice of the Martyrs. Brothers and sisters are dying all over our world because of this book, and they do it joyfully. I've always said this prosperity gospel stuff that they preach so good, you don't hear it being preached in those areas because it doesn't gel. How about this one? If you're honoring God and you're walking with God and you have the, this is another one of those biblical words we throw around we don't really understand, the favor of God, everything will be great. You'll never get sick. You'll never have any issues. Wow. Okay, so, so I should never get sick. Okay, so when I do get sick, what do I have left with? My faith is lacking, so it must be on me or God's mad at me. Again, that's not in the book. When the man was laying lame outside the temple asking for money, did Paul or did Peter and John give him money? He said, no, we'll give you Jesus Christ. The man was healed, praise God. But you realize there was thousands, maybe even millions of people around Jesus' ministry and his three and a half years on earth that Jesus never healed? Peter's in prison in the book of Acts. God sets him free miraculously. John the Baptist is in prison while Jesus is on earth, and John the Baptist is beheaded. Jesus allows it. Jesus allowed John the Baptist to be beheaded while he was on planet earth. He could have stopped it and didn't. He chose to let it happen because that, in the way that God honored or wanted it, it glorified God. See, I don't claim to understand all these things, but we can't go to God and say, you've got to do it in my understanding. In our country, however, we are blessed. We are so blessed to live in a nation that allows us the abilities we have, the success we have, the financial resources that we have. While there are dangers we must avoid in our culture today, the truth is the generosity of the American church, really the Western church, has greatly impacted the world for missions and the preaching of the gospel. That generosity that American Christians have shown over many, many years is due to the financial blessings that we have here. And so we must realize that while there are dangers, there are also blessings. We are blessed financially, but the key is to use that for the glory of God. And when we do, then God is glorified, and we have those blessings because we live where we live. But I want to remind us that we can't get tied up in those things. We have to guard against the dangers of those things. You see, no matter how good your life is on earth, compared to the glory that awaits us, this life is not the best our life will be. It can't even compare. In Christ, you can have all the treasures of this world. And when you step from this world and see your Savior face to face, everything you had will fall away. Nothing will compare. Way back in week one of this message series, I shared a quote by A.W. Tozer that said this, that the issue is we feel too much at home in this world. We must remind ourselves, this is not our home. We are merely passing through. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I'm just passing through. I'm glad this isn't my final resting place. When we live with eternity in mind, we will directly, it will directly affect the way we view our possessions, our time, our families, 
and even our spouse. What does Paul say? Those of you that are married, I wish you would live as those that are not married. Now, that's not Paul saying ignore your wife or ignore your husband. This is the same guy that wrote in Ephesians, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself for her. Wives be in submission to you, which just means to listen to or with respect to your husbands. So he's not saying ignore your spouse. What is he saying? He says, when you're married, you get torn. You want to honor and please God, but you also want to culturally please your spouse. And he says, there's a mission we have before us to basically make disciples and preach the gospel. And I can't allow my spouse to be a reason I don't do what God has called me to do. I can't get to heaven and go, God, but you gave me her. (laughs) Adam tried that. Didn't work. No, Paul says, no, 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 no. It's a blessed union. So as Christ, or in Christ, as a couple, we walk with Christ, but we do it with Christ as the focal point. So many marriage conferences, they teach Jesus as though it's a part of your marriage. Like communication, trust, forgiveness, and then Jesus. Man, Jesus is not a part of my marriage. Jesus is the center, the core, the, the, the everything in my marriage. Because without him, I can no way be the husband I even want to be. As a parent, you can't be the parent God has called you to be without Jesus Christ. You can't. It is him that gives us the ability. Because listen, as a Christian dad, I blow it. I can't even imagine if I didn't have Jesus how screwed up my kids would be. Let's just be real. How do those kids so messed up? With Jesus, though, and with a focal point on eternity, everything in my life will change. Quite a few years ago, I did an illustration, and I had a rope, and uh, the rope went all the way across the stage. It was a white rope, and at the end of it, I had about this much of it was covered in red, just a few inches, maybe three inches was covered in red. And the illustration was simple, that that red spot of the rope, that's our life on earth. That it's just this small section. But when compared with all of eternity, it doesn't even come close. And we, we kill ourselves for that little section. We, we work so many hours so we can have and 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 have. And we've lived this whole life, 70, 80, 90 years, not even thinking about all of eternity that spans forever. And I think if we don't stop thinking this life is all there is and this is the best life now and i got to make it all that it is and we don't change our thinking and start thinking about eternity and start viewing our children in light of eternity, our wives or our husbands in light of eternity, our families, our own life right now in light of eternity, then we will miss out on some amazing blessings in this life as we focus on the things of God. Paul shares this very same sentiment with the church at at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 24. One more passage, and then we're going to close. Philippians chapter 1. I want to share this, then we're going to pray and have a time of invitation where we can respond to what God is doing in our lives. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20. I lied. I know. Where am I going here? Okay, yes. I I didn't lie. It was chapter 1, verse 20. Okay. Verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing 
I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by, by life or by death. Man, do you, do you realize what Paul just said? And we read verses like this and we just keep reading. He says, with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. What's Paul saying? Whether I live for Christ or I die in Christ, I don't care as long as he is magnified. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Some of us don't think that way about our lives. We're living our life as though this is all there is and I need to make the most of it. We see death as a negative, but in Christ it is a great reward. Verse 22, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I want not. Here's, here's Paul's heart. Hear this now. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless, to be able, or to abide, I'm sorry, in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. What's Paul saying here? You know what Paul's saying? Paul desires to be with Christ more than anything. That's what he's saying. Paul says, I would much rather be with Christ than be here. The idea in Paul's words would be similar to uh, if you're on a long trip and you get to the end of a week or a week and a half and you're away from home, you haven't seen your family, you haven't seen your wife or your kids, and you're writing to them and you're saying, I just, I really want to be with you. I can't wait to be home and see you. I really, I miss you so much. And you write that to them and you send it. That's Paul's heart. He's saying, man, I, I want to be with Jesus more than anything else. But then he says this, but I know right now me being here is better for you. So I'll put that on hold. I'll not allow that to consume my thinking because I realize I have a job to do and I'm going to minister to you, the church, so that your joy might be full that you would know what it is to know Christ. Because he says the furtherance, of your, uh, furtherance and joy of faith, that their faith may grow. See, he realizes it's better for the church that he remains here. He wants to be with Christ so desperately and yet willingly accepts his mission, even if it means costing his life, which, by the way, the Apostle Paul dies as a martyr being beheaded for Christ. Paul was not focused on comfort or his best life now. He knew this was temporary. And he knew no eye has seen or ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of a man what things, the things rather, which God has prepared for those that love him. 1 Corinthians 2.9. See, in closing this morning, I truly believe that when we allow Jesus, by the working of the Holy Spirit, through his word, into undue spiritual indifference, spiritual pride and hollow worship in our lives, we will see the truth of who Christ is and who he's called us to be. We will know that we are not good, but he is the good shepherd and his grace is what saves us. And we will know that this life is not our best life now because there is waiting for us a joy and a glory our minds cannot comprehend. So my encouragement this morning is to stop falling for the lies of the enemy. If they are told in the culture or in the church, let's dive deep into the word of God so we may be able to abide in him and in his words abide in us 
that we will be set free to make him known in this world. My challenge is simple this morning as we're going to pray. And I'm going to invite you in just a moment to come forward and bend a knee. No one's going to call you out. No one's going to come to you. We'll have those in the front right here that if you want to pray with someone, there'll be men and women in the front that would love to pray with you, just encourage you. We're not here to counsel. We're not here to give advice. We're not here to condemn. We're just here to pray with you. And if you want to know more about what it means to know the gospel, we'd love to share that with you. There'll be those in the front in just a moment that'll do that with you. You can come forward by yourself with someone. Maybe you want to come and pray. But my encouragement to to you is this. What lies are you believing? What lies are you believing that God's word has clearly said is not true? Is it lies about yourself? You just, you beat yourself up because of past sins. Even though you're in Christ, you still think you're not good enough. Stop believing that lie. You are saved, sealed. You're guaranteed eternal life with Christ. He is, he is yours and you are his. And you are his beloved son or daughter. That's the truth of God's word in Christ. Stop believing the lies that you're not good enough. Stop beating yourself up. If you don't know Christ, stop thinking your sin is too great for God to forgive. That's a lie of the enemy. Come forward and understand, or even there in your seats, that God's grace can save you right where you are. If you'll call out to him, believe and trust in the person of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again, and by putting your faith and trust in him and receiving his grace, you will be saved. What's the lie that you need to stop believing and start believing the truth this morning? Would you pray with me as you bow your heads there where you are? Father, as we come before you in prayer, we ask that you would be glorified. Lord, we need to know that I am not good enough on my own, that I can't work my way to heaven, that I can't do enough religious things, enough good deeds to undo the sin that I've committed in my life but I don't have to, and that's the beauty of your grace. I don't have to try to be good enough, but by merely trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ, by receiving your grace, I can be saved from all of my sin, not because I am good enough, but because you are great and loving and just and kind. And so I pray, Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you this morning, that they would take time honestly evaluate their standing before you and to repent of their sin and to trust in Christ that they haven't already. Maybe today can be the day of salvation for them. Lord, for those of us in Christ, I pray that we would know the truth that has set us free from the bondage of sin, but also, Lord, from the freedom of having to believe the lies of the enemy. Maybe there's somebody here today, Lord, that's been believing a lie about themselves, allowing themselves to think differently about them than than you think of them. Lord, I, I don't even know what's going on in the hearts and minds of your people, these that are gathered together here today. And I pray that you would just, just encourage them and help them, Lord, to make the choices they need to make with boldness so that whether by my life or by my death, you are magnified, you are glorified. Be our all in all because you are not a part of our life. Your word tells us you are our life. And so, Father, we honor you in all these things. May you lead, guide, and direct And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? If you'd like to come and pray, please, I invite you to do that. Don't worry about anyone else. This isn't about anyone else. What is God leading you to do? Decisions you need to make. Would you come and bend a knee and pray? Those in the front that would pray with you, would you respond this morning as we sing?